This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi, in New York. Uh, Heidi, can you give people a little rundown on our new TV show that we're recording in New York City? Sure. I am here in New York City, where I live, and we are starting, we have a series out of Northern California, which we are now expanding into New York City in the five boroughs, and it's every Sunday night on Channel 56. For those of you that have cable, and if you live in New York City, you have cable, because if you don't have cable, then you cannot watch television. We have no reception here without cable. So anyway, Channel 56, and it's called Grief Relief, and every night, every Sunday night at 9 p.m., you can go on and watch us for half an hour, and you're going to watch people like our guests today that have transformed their lives after loss and have gone on to find hope again. Yeah, we're really excited about our new show, and uh, we've had a great interest in it. So we hope you'll tell all your friends and family about it. And we think the show today is particularly important because we're talking about loss of identity um, as a person and women, but also about the death of a father. And our guest today is um, Amy Jo Mathis, and she's walked with thousands of people through grief and loss of a loved one and had the recent death of her father about a year and a half ago. And she knows the numbing whisper insisting he'll come back. She's a former pastor and also teaches at Pacific uh, University in California. So welcome to our show, Amy Jo. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be to be here. It's great to have you on today, and I know that you have, uh, as I said, uh, dealt dealt with many people in coaching and walking them through grief. How did the death of your father impact you? And tell us about that, and and as a pastor also. Right. Um, it was very interesting. Um, <laughs> that sounds really sterile to say. Um, but at some point, it almost felt like I was watching it from a distance. Um, having walked through that process with so many people um, as a pastor, when my dad died, I was no longer practicing as a pastor. Um, and yet I, I had all the wisdom and information and knowledge of doing it with other people. And when it's, for me, when it was me, I, none of that held true. I was, um, it was all new. It was all my own. I didn't have a map as to how to get through it. Um, and the other interesting part was the family dynamics <laughs> that happened all around it um, were surprising to me because as the person in the home, the professional in the home who had the wisdom and experience of walking that path with so many people, um, when I came into the impending death of my father, um, that was not the role that was given me. <laughs> I was sort of back to the young child, the youngest child in the family who, and the older brothers and sisters made the decisions. It was very, um, it was it was almost surreal. Now, your, your dad was a pastor it, it also, right? Yeah, he was a pastor too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, it it was like nothing I could have prepared for. And, and it, in some ways, I, it's, you know, um, I just heard um, 
uh, Joan Didion um, interviewed recently about her book, um, mm-hmm. The Year of Magical Thinking, and, and I never really um, got the title until my dad died. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, now I understand. Because I still sort of think he's coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, this this can't, this can't be the end of this, you know. Um, the reality is... How, how long ago, how long did he die? How long has he been dead? He died um, July 23rd, 2011. I was just going to say, I think you're making a really good point that I don't want to let this pass here and that you still expect him to come back. And I think it takes us a very long time to wrap our arms around the permanence of somebody being gone, especially when they've been in our lives our entire life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, your dad was a pastor, and you were a pastor, and you followed in his footsteps, I assume, and and then you left the church, right? Yeah. Is that correct? And and what That's was your correct. relationship like with him? Oh, complicated. <laughs> um, he actually came with me. He and my mom both chose to leave the organized church and um, began to attend what I had created then, which was a an experimental community. We called it a way of, we initially called it way of Christ community. And then as we practiced um, going deeper into other um, ideas that had previously been unexplored, because in the church, you know, you're, you're given what you believe. And so when we left that, the confines of that, we were free to ask whatever questions or read whatever material we wanted to. And so we got deeper into other ideas and followed some questions that, you know, myself and other people in the community had had, you know, their whole lives and um, came to a different understanding of how we saw the world and what we believed about it. And so then we changed our name to way of compassion community. And, um, and so actually I would, I don't, my dad had a completely different mindset about the world when he died, um, which was another whole component of what made it so difficult because he was in the town, he was still living in the town that my, um, that he had been a pastor in all these years. And so people were not sometimes very gracious about the decision that he made then about the kind of service he wanted um, after he died. He planned his whole service uh-huh. um, before he died. Yeah, he wrote everything out. I mean, he he chose the music. He chose who was going to speak. He chose um, uh, what would be written before each song <laughs> was sung. Um, and so there were, it was not what you and I would call a, a typically religious service. And, and, so there were some some sort of mean spirited people who who I was I was against Lord would choose that time when somebody had died to to gossip <laughs> and 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 you know talk um, badly about about um, his belief system and even mine and the role that I played in it. People put some things on me that weren't mine to own, but um, it was it was all very. Very interesting how people interact with with death, and um, I think it scared people. It scared people that he said he didn't believe in a heaven or a hell, and he was at peace with that. It 
frightened people. Ah. Um, yeah. It, it, so how old was he, and what did he have, and how did he die? He was 75, and he had um, stage 4 bone cancer. Ah, painful. So it was very painful. And, um, and he was amazing because he got... He he wanted to take just enough meds to manage the pain just enough so that he could still visit and talk and be with people. So for the last three weeks of his life, people were coming from all over the country um, to come to the house and spend time with him. Um, and talk with him, and that was that was what he wanted more than anything. So he, you could tell that he was uncomfortable and in pain, but he was not going to take more meds because, you know, it messed with his his ability to be cognitively present, and he was not going to let that happen. He had a great will, and and it really represents my father because his his greatest love was connecting with people. So I think that um, he lived that out fully um, in the last weeks, and it really wasn't it wasn't. What was his belief of uh, where what happens after that? Um, he, you know, one of the things that we had started doing um, in the community in way of compassion is we had begun to practice some pagan um, pagan rituals and and Native American and that whole cycle of life that is really beautiful of mm-hmm. when a flower dies, the seeds go back into the ground to fertilize yet another form of life. And that's what he believed about himself, that he was going um, back into the ground. And somehow, um, from his life here on Earth, he had fertilized new growth and new life. Um, so to a certain extent it, that his, his energy is, uh-huh. is throughout the, the world. Absolutely. That his energy okay. continues to, to create new life. And I believe that completely. Oh, so that works for you. Until, Absolutely. And, okay, and, and now it sounds like, okay, um, you, your father was old, uh-huh. and from the world's perspective, and you knew he was going to die, so that you were prepared for it, and uh, he did die, and uh, you're just fine now, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have nothing else that I need to work through. <laughs> um, no, not at all. I... I'm... I have, I have a wound that I don't think I've begun to really, um, to really treat yet. And, um, it, it comes, it, it flares up at the most unexpected moments, (laughs) which can be awkward sometimes. Um, I was just at a, a work retreat this last weekend with 30 other women and, um, we, the opening session, we all had to go around and answer some questions and it got to me and I couldn't even speak. <laughs> I was just overcome and I got out the words, dad died <laughs> a year ago. You know, I was, it was just, um, it's still something that comes into everything that I do. You know, I've had a really exciting and, um, a really life-changing year in, in terms of um, going to start my own company and uh, writing a book and doing a TEDx talk, and I've gotten some really wonderful awards, and I every time I just, it kills me inside that he's not here mm. to be part of it, because he would, 
he would have um, loved it. And so I, that hurts profoundly. And I try to translate that into um, into the what I was talking about before that that part of what I'm doing is is my dad's energy that mm-hmm. that his life Whoa. is coming through me. Well, I'm thinking too, Amy Jo, that you're kind of taking his work forward because it sounds like you guys were on the same page. Yes. And now you're being the voice. You're continuing that voice in there, which is I, wonderful. I, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And I think that that um, we, you know, <laughs> we were going to write a book together, and he had um, written out the first outline of it, and and I I still have it, and I hold that, and we just never. You know, I was too busy, and he was too busy, because he kept very, very busy up to the end, and we never really got it launched. So I decided, well, um, what I'm doing now is is part of, of what we and I, he and I were going to do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're carrying that with him. I am. I am, and, and that's profoundly important to me. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I just think about the work that I do. I mean, everything I do is a tribute to my brother, Scott. And mm-hmm. it does give me endless energy, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, to go out there and, and help people that have been where I have been and to find hope and to do it as a tribute to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, well, yes. And, and I was, I also wanted to say too that I'm lucky because I have three, three kids, um, who, um, were eight and, uh, 11 when they're, grandfather died and so and they were absolutely totally in love with him I mean grandpa could do no wrong at all and they probably spent more time with my dad as a young person than I did because he was always busy and gone when I was their age um and they you know the way they do grief is so different than the way I do it they're just they're they're just out in front with it you know they if my daughters or need to just fall down on the floor and cry sometime and I'll come up to them like, is it grandpa? And they're like, yes. <laughs> so they just reminded them of it. So they just weep openly, you know, um, and they, they tell stories constantly and they, they, any little thing can trigger them to talk about him. And I think sometimes I try to manage that. I try to hold it in. I try to make it appropriate. And they just don't. They they are unreasonable about their grief. And I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and that gives me some space to also be unreasonable about it. Now, do you think that um, as a, a child having a parent die, do you feel responsible for uh, the spouse of your parent? It could be, you know, there are some people who are divorced and it's a, a step-parent or whatever, but not so with you. But do you feel responsible for your mom? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And how does that impact your grief? How does that impact my life? Your grief. Oh, my grief. Um, I'm a little bit more careful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think, I think in truth, Gloria, I probably have it boxed up pretty nicely. And I haven't really um, let it rip yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that's for my mom, I think. Um, and part of it's because I think that's how we were raised. You know, we were really good German Lutherans who kept everything appropriate, you know. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. We practiced keeping our emotions in check, you know. Right. And um, and so how do you, how do you all of a sudden uh, let it go completely when you're grieving 
I, I think we, we grieve how we're taught to live, you know? And, um, and I'm trying to unlearn that in other parts of my life. I'm trying to sort of let myself be, be who I am in all of my glory and all of my bigness. And, and I'm so like, I think I'm, I'm trying to grieve big as well, but I haven't gotten there yet. Well, Amy Jo, and, and, and grieving can be very scary because it does, if we completely go there and visit it, very out of control sometimes. I know, Mom, you were, you were about to say something, too. No, I was just going to say this, Heidi. It reminds me of you talking about siblings taking care of their parents when they have a sibling die. Absolutely. Mm. There's definitely a correlation. I was thinking mm. the same thing, Mom. I mean, when my brother died, I definitely grieved on my own time and in my own place because I, my parents were in such a, you know emotional place that I didn't want to further upset them. Right, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Heidi also made a comment, and I'm thinking about you, Amy Jo, if this had its connection with you, that she uh, was afraid um, for us. She didn't want to see us grieve that hard either. So she didn't enjoy seeing her parents so upset. And right. I'm thinking maybe you would prefer not to see your mother that upset also. And if you get upset, then hmm. she's going to be upset. Because if, if, you know, if Heidi cried, then it upset me. So I was not right. only upset about Scott's death, but I was upset because Heidi was crying. Right, right. It wasn't just tears. It was absolutely overwhelming tears and sorrow and, you know, these all these things. I'd never seen my parents at that level emotionally. Right, right, so right, it was right. Scary, and on some level, it was a little scary for me, I have to be honest. Yeah, well, I can't imagine. How old were you, Heidi? I was, I was 20. But, you know, uh, my, my issue was when I saw them in those places, I yeah. just thought, are they ever going to come out of those places, right, right. or is this my new life right. permanently? And that exactly. was the, the scary part. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, I, I really I, I appreciate your question so much to me, because I'm, I'm not sure if I want to see my mom completely fall apart and and and... Because I, at some level, intellectually, I know that that at some point in the grieving process, um, that can be very helpful. Um, at the other time, I, I certainly, certainly don't want to see her just um, sit in it and not and not um, find her own way now, and so. I'm, I, I, you know, and she's a good Scott, you know, she keeps a lot in, um, but we've taught, we taught, I think we've talked more recently, more openly about, about how it feels, and she's, she's called sometimes and just cried on the phone, and I'm, I'm actually relieved when she does. I, I really, um, want her to do that more often. Hmm. So uh, if you had some advice for somebody who just had a, a parent die who was, you know, an older parent, what would your advice be? Um, don't think that it means you shouldn't be heartbroken and devastated and hurt, even if, you know, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Mm, that's fine. You're an adult and... You have kids, and you know your parent is older, and you know they were sick, and and even my God, I'm so happy he's not in pain anymore. Um, to 
give yourself permission to, to grieve like a child. As if, and because that's how it feels. I mean, my dad was my dad was my dad. He was my daddy, you know? And I was, you know, 45 when he died and it doesn't matter. He, he was still my dad when I, the same guy who, you know, I went bike riding with and felt like the happiest days of my life when I was a kid when I'd get to go bike riding with him. You know, he's still the guy who I passionately argued with as a, as a college student. You know, I mean, he's still the one who I um, looked to um, for advice. And, um, um, and, and, and still to this day feel some sort of yearning for that advice and for that um, even... Um, you know, I, I would love to have him see me succeed. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is don't feel like you shouldn't hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's ter- it's terrible. It's a huge loss. You know, when I was a pastor, um, uh, one of my prisoners, uh, her father died, and he was younger. He was like in his 50s. And um, she was in her... Maybe he was in his mid fifties. She was in her, she was a, a young professional and she had said that, you know, when he died, the first couple of weeks were sort of okay because everybody else's world stopped too, you know? Mm-hmm. And their world had stopped and everyone else's world stopped. But then after the service, everybody else went back to their life. <laughs> and she said, mine still stopped. I, I couldn't figure out why everybody else was just fine all of a sudden because my was still, my world was still crushed. And I, I intellectually understood what she meant at the time and actually thought it was very insightful, but I didn't feel it in my bones until my dad died. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I went back to work and everybody was like, oh, how are you doing? I'm good. Okay, good. Let's get back to work. <laughs> you know, and it was like, wait a minute. This, I, you know, stop. I want to get off. This, this shouldn't, we shouldn't be able to just keep going. My dad died. <laughs> I just came, my dad's dead. Are you crazy? How can we just keep going? You know, and uh, sometimes I still feel that way. Right. I still feel like, don't people know that the world is so different because Bob Matthias isn't here? <laughs> don't you know that? I want to, so does I want to ask people who, you know, just on the street, how can you, how can you think that the world is so normal? All right. Yes. It's not. Well, tell us about your website and tell us what you're doing. Yeah, I will. I, I'm um, taking all of those years of being a pastor and all of the academic knowledge that I have um, from that, and I am funneling it into a business called The Good Core. And my intention is to work primarily with women to help them identify their own natural inner good core power um, instead of finding their good worth from outside entities, either from God or from their father or from their mother or from their work or from, you know, male attention or from wherever it is that women have been taught to go look for um, blessings of themselves or their value and worth. I'm, I'm, teaching them to find it inside of themselves and to use that power um, to create more good in their life and in the world. And so I'm doing life coaching, individual coaching, and also group um, coaching. I've written my book, Religion Made Me Fat, which is about my journey into my own good core 
my dad's a big part of that. <laughs> um, and I'm um, just launching a series of workshops around um, the country that's going to be about um, religion may be fat and how other people can release um, from whatever system that is holding them down and telling them they're not um, allowed to be who they naturally are, their natural goodness. And, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. And tell us what your website is, because I love your book. As I told you the name of your book, Religion Made Me Fat. It's such yeah. a great title. <laughs> but uh, what's your website? My website is just um, amyjoemathias.com. Okay, amyjoemathias.com, and yes. also you're on TED Talks, so yes, they can hear you TEDx on there. Talk. Yeah, it's um, the title of it isn't very catchy, I must admit. It's Asserting Human Good, but it's this whole idea that all of us in humanity have sort of bought into the Judeo-Christian idea, and actually uh, Islam actually carries this belief, too, that as, as human beings, we're born with a... Um, an innate predilection to to the bad, that um, if we didn't uh, look somewhere else to God or to Allah, we, we would um, sort of wallow away in our, our selfishness and greed, and, and that the, our first inclination is toward um, the bad instead of the good. And I'm, I'm saying that's wrong. I'm saying we have naturally um, good in us. That is incredibly powerful, and we need to tap into that to create more, to then generate power that will give us the capacity to handle those situations when um, it does feel dark or there is uh, chaos and pain around or um, violence does occur because that is part of humanity as well. I'm saying it's not the core of us. It's not the first part of us all and, right well thank you yeah. you're <laughs> it welcome. sounds like you, you've got a lot going on and uh, <laughs> yes i do sorry i can talk on and on about that so you gotta cut me off <laughs> and thank you for dealing with all that goodness and thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us on the show today uh, it's been a pleasure yeah thanks amy joe and thank you for sharing your thoughts i can tell that you guys were very connected so we appreciate yeah. that and yes, are very connected i should say yeah, I think so. And I'm, I am I like that you said that. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, thank you for carrying on your father's work and, and thoughts and your book and all the good things you're doing to help the world. Thank you well, so much, Gloria. Yeah. Well, Heidi, Amy, Amy Jo's got a lot of energy, huh? She does. And I just want to tell everybody out there, if you want to go to TED Talk, you know, go to her website, Amy Jo Mathis, and watch her TED Talk. She's extremely passionate, and she's an amazing public speaker. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the show today and tune in again next week and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.